Welcome back to BTA Charity Voices Podcast with me, Anne Hughes, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Joette Thomas of Animate Consulting, where she is a lead partner, and Joette has been working in the charity sector since 1994. Joette, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Anne. Uh-huh. And so we met at the CIOF dinner back in June, and yeah, we got on great and I decided you definitely had to come on and tell us more about your career. And while I got a glimpse of it, I'm excited to hear how it all started for you in the third sector in 1994. I come from Detroit, Michigan, originally, and I arrived here, uh, well, in 1993 on holiday and decided that Edinburgh was where I wanted to be and moved here permanently at the beginning of of 94. And when I first got here, because when I left, I'd finished doing a postgrad in psychology and I thought I was going to, I had an internship in a women's therapy center and I thought that's what I was going to be doing. And I came here and yeah, it was a totally different world. So I worked in a shop on Princess Street because seven years of uni, I spent a lot of time working in shops and restaurants. And so that was an easy job to get. And then I I became aware of the third sector and I thought, okay, this is this is my natural home here. Yeah. This is where I belong. And I repeatedly applied for jobs, got really frustrated, a bit depressed about working in a shop after spending so much money on education. But then I got a job as a volunteer coordinator yeah. in uh, what was Edinburgh Association for Mental Health, now Health in Mind Scotland, because I had been a volunteer coordinator while I was at uni. So uh, that that's what got me in. Uh, to the third sector in 94 and I spent some time doing that and then was a community development worker. I managed a young people's sexual health service and, and peer education project in the mid-90s when peer education was really a thing and then the last job I had in the sector, although I've never stopped working in the sector, uh, I was the first manager of uh, Black and Minority Ethnic Women's mental health service so uh, because it had been a collective you know that was 20 years ago and uh, absolutely uh, I look back on that and recognize some of what was problematic about being the white woman who was the first manager Uh, I was also the youngest member of the staff and I was there when 9-11 happened which created some really interesting dynamics and I learned so much I had such positive relationships in the team, women from seven different countries of origin, cultures of origin, it was amazing. We we ate so much good food all the time. Uh, and I was there for four years, during which time I was able to use what I knew from being a manager in the third sector to kind of stabilize the organization and to grow it, developing a new service for, for young uh, teenage women from Black minority ethnic communities and some other services. And it's still going strong. It's going really strong. So, yeah, so I worked in the sector for really the first 10 years that I was in Scotland. And I think it's interesting because I didn't actually know that you hadn't worked in the sector in the United States before you came here. I just assumed that you had already done that. So your whole career really has been in the UK. Yeah, Yeah, I came here when I was 26. So, you know, and and really uh, my early 20s and things were being at uni and I always had two or three jobs and just being a young adult and having fun and everything. But for a number of years, I was a volunteer coordinator in the Center for Eating Disorders. So uh, I've always volunteered, actually, from that time. I've never stopped volunteering. I volunteer in the third sector 
I, I always have on boards and in local community organizations. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. My eldest is 24 and she volunteers in a local youth club. And I was, you know, and she did it all off her own steam. And I was thinking, what? Oh, I'm so glad that because I've always said, if everybody just volunteered an hour a week in their local community to do something that matters, like, can you imagine how different uh-huh. life would be? Exactly. And, and uh, yeah, so I was just thinking, ah, you've picked that up, that one of the things you do is you help out. Yeah, that's, that's funny. That's come up in the podcast a few times. People saying how their children are so engaged with the third sector and with charity and with donating and with volunteering and everything. And so are mine. But that's because I've always worked here. Whereas when I was a kid, did I know as much about charity? No, I didn't, actually. So I think it has to be more part of everybody's life, doesn't it, for us to get that push through where everybody yeah. just does it automatically. Uh-huh. And so then you became a consultant with Animate Consulting. Where I'm... Well, I, set, I went out on my own first, actually. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll just... Um... In 2004, I uh, left the organization I described because I'd become a single parent and I just couldn't manage school holidays because I just I have no family network here. So uh, and at that time, I I had the year before in 2003, I was fortunate enough. I won a scholarship actually to train as a coach, which was a very new thing in the early 2000s. And uh, so I spent two years doing that training. It was quite a big, big program and so then in 2004 I set up Joette Thomas coaching and consulting and you know at that time too leadership rather than management was kind of coming into vogue and this idea that people were leaders and that you know that became my focus uh really to the third sector but that's where I'd come from you know so all the third sector stuff evaluations and strategic planning and working you know working with people in leadership roles so I, I did that um, until we set up Animate in 2012. Right. So Animate celebrates 10, 10 year, our 10-year anniversary this year. And some, yeah, so uh, one, I'm just going to say this because it is something I'm dead excited about. But one of the things that we're doing is uh, we've been working for the last 18 months or so on developing a program which we've called Agents of Change for young professionals between roughly 25 and 35 uh, who we've co-produced uh, it with what we're calling a young professionals development program. And that's our big celebration of our 10 years because we, you know, the way that people in Animate work, we're kind of trained as we're systemic, psychodynamic consultants, forget those <laughs> words, but there aren't a lot, although there are a lot of consultants in Scotland, we're, we're kind of niche in how we work and we, and we're all getting older and we want to make sure that we, we pass some of what we know on, but we're so interested in how how much there is to learn from how that generation thinks about organizations and leadership. And um, so it, it's, uh, yeah, so we're hoping that that's going to happen. Uh, it's scheduled to begin in, in January of 2023. So, yeah. That, that uh, is exciting. And I think, you know, so often we as a, as a culture, not just we as me and you, talk about young people as if they've got nothing to offer and they want to climb the ladder too quickly and all the rest of it. Whereas actually there's so much wisdom there because was I wise in my mid-twenties and mid-thirties? Well, of course I was. Yeah. I don't know whether it was always taken seriously or not. I can't, I'm not, I can't look back on it objectively, I suppose. But there is so much to learn from so many people. And actually when you look at 
as a fundraiser when you look at who it is that's that's donating to your organisation you want to get these people you know so you have to understand them better because they're they're our donors of the future so we have to understand them better don't we Mm -hmm. yeah they are the future you know I think that's um yeah a hundred percent so yeah so I'm I'm dead excited for that actually Uh and I think Um, that also is I, I love that agents for change is the name for it because I think like you know, when, when I was young, when you were young, the, such a thing as a job for life did still exist. You know, people joined organisations and never left them. And they just stayed there for the... And I don't mean in the sector, I mean generally in, in society. Whereas now change is something that happens at a much rap, more rapid rate now. So maybe those of us who are a bit older find that challenging. I quite like change, but I can get that a lot of people find change challenging. Whereas the younger generations, I think, are so used to change that they are now natives of change and they don't find it as challenging as perhaps those yeah. of us that well, are. I, you know, it's interesting because the, um, and one of the things on the, there's, I'll, I'll send you links, all the information on our website, but one one of the things we say about why why this program is that, you know, we've worked with a number of young professionals in various places and, uh, and what we hear is often the frustration at not being able to, influence in the way they would like to to bring just what you're saying what their gifts their wisdom to to bear because of the structures of the organizations that they're in and so it's one of the things that we want to do is to develop confidence to give them some some tools to help them deepen their understanding of how to usefully bring themselves to to as change agents um, in organizations or the communities they live in because that we're really talking about that in the publicity that yes organizations but actually if you're really involved in your community and this resonates for you there that you know please please come and we've you know we've established a bursary pot because we you know that's our that's our offer is a ten thousand pound bursary pot for our 10th anniversary because we really want diversity you know we don't want just people whose organizations can easily you know pay for them to be part of the group we really want to bring together a, a subsection of of that generation and to to learn from one another about yeah what they want to make for the future yeah great wonderful so then if we go back to 2012 you started with animate consulting that's where you start doing all the work that you continue to do today so tell us about that yeah, so Animate is a small consultancy, and really it was four of us who had been uh, sole traders coming together to be a team, want, wanting to be a part of a team again. And, and Animate was founded, our purpose, the way we talk about why Animate exists, is to support organizations that are trying to make a positive difference in the world to be more effective at it and to enjoy it more. Mm. Because, I mean, obviously we're, we support people in the world of work and we spend so much of our lives at work that really thinking about how do we we make this somewhere that it feels good to be. I think, you know, right now, the idea of psychological safety, you know, that phrase is used a lot. But yeah, how 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 can people be their best and feel their best as they're working to make a positive difference in the world? And so we we do one-to-one work, coaching, as I said, and consulting in lots of different ways, supporting teams, a bit, you know, some training. And of the partners, I'm probably the one that does the most work in the third sector. I've always done a lot of work in the third sector. I do a lot of work. I've collaborated for about 15 years with ACOSBO, the Association for Chief Officers in uh, the third sector. Uh, A lot of work in in women's organizations and mental health services. They're just kind of 
have always been niche interests of mine. And we also work in the public sector, the NHS and Scottish government, yeah. local authorities. But yeah, I mean, it's what I say to people. I've, I won't go into this, but, you know, we've also worked for many years with international congregations of nuns and NGOs, teachers, nurses, third sector, where people come together with a common purpose. It's usually one of five or six issues that they need support with. So yeah. it's just about being human and trying to to work together to make something important happen. Yeah, and yeah. I really get that as a consultant within the sector that people think when I begin a piece of work or to speak to somebody about something I'm getting ready to do, they perhaps think their problem is massive and they're the only one that is dealing with that. And when I sort of reassure them, like, everywhere is the same. <laughs> This is not a new conversation for me. Let's see, this is how we can start to fix it. It's that understanding. Is there almost a worry that there's almost, and maybe a cause will help us. We've had Pat Armstrong on. Uh, she has now stood down. She's been on the podcast before and we'll get the new CEO on hopefully in the next few months too. But is there a way that people can start talking to each other in a safe space about what their concerns are? Because are we all hiding it? You know, are we all just like, oh, we can't tell anybody our problems because then they'll see us as weak? But it's actually, yeah. there's so much comfort, I think, comes to people's faces and spirits alone when I say to them, I've spoke to about five organisations that are having the same problem. Let's sit down and work it out. Yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a, you know, I would, I feel really privileged to do the work that I do. Uh, I have privilege, which has enabled me to to do that work. And I've had a lot of just luck along the way too. But I think that it's, you know, just like you, kind of having a role that means I sort of have a bird's eye view of what's going on in the sector. And I probably speak to 20 people a week in different organizations. And yeah, and being able to share that exactly as you say, just to to normalize, I think, especially the last couple of years during COVID, it's been so challenging. And just to, yeah, affirm people's struggle and and bring them together, just like you're saying, it's such one of the one of the great gifts of the Cosmo. Is uh, because being a chief officer can be a really isolating yeah. role. You've got the board above you and staff beneath you, and having peers to, yeah, just talk with. It, it's such a great offer. Uh huh. And so, do you think that people are more open? How is that that journey over the last decade to coaching? Because some people are like oh, coaching, and other people I really need to have somebody to speak to about that, and are really on it. And I'm imagining yeah. sometimes you get you a chief exec would say, "Yeah, I need you to coach my team," and some of them will be really up for it, and some of them won't be. Has the has the journey changed over the last decade for who, who how people are open to coaching? And that's a really interesting question, Anne. I'm thinking, you know, and it's kind of you know, I guess because COVID coaching yeah. has is so immediately in my my thinking about how things have changed. But I think, so I guess if I was going to name a couple of changes, first thought, best thought, uh, one is that I think that people are more up for it and less uncertain of it. You know, I think in the third sector, most people are familiar with support and supervision. Yeah. So it's not too big of a leap, but I think, uh, you know, I think the, the minute you, somebody is called a coach, people also think, oh, is that like more like a counselor or, you know, what kind of what what is it? But I think people are more curious and interested in engaging mm-hmm. with it. I think it's recognized in organizations more as something that can serve a, a purpose that it's hard to serve by someone within the organization. 
Um, and and the last thing I'd say about that is that I think that uh, I've definitely experienced, and here we are back to maybe younger generations, I have definitely experienced people that I'm coaching who are in their 30s, particularly maybe early 40s. They're, they're really seeing it as a professional development, and they're coming with a much clearer idea of what they want from it. So yeah. rather than, hmm, I'll use this as a thinking space to explore, they're like, I want to think about how do I model the behaviors I want to see in my staff? I want to think about how how do I sit back and uh, what do I do when people are, I'm now a senior leader, what do I do when I don't have any idea what my colleagues are talking about? Yeah, so just just that, I really noticed that and I do, you know, I'm, I'm making that connection and answering your question. I really do see that more in younger people, younger professionals. Mm-hmm. Like here's something I can get something from that's going to help me. Uh-huh. This is what I want. Uh-huh. And it's that willingness to have a wee bit of vulnerability and say, I need to learn more. And as somebody who's supposed to, uh, the older generations now, gosh, how did it happen? Um, yeah. I, love it when, I love it when younger colleagues and I, I mean, are quite a few, a few younger women within the sector because it's just something I like to do. And I love it when they're therefore saying, I don't know how to deal with this. And therefore they want they want me to give them guidance, to get, have, give them some of my wisdom, some of my experience. They might end up doing it differently, but I love the fact that they're aware of the fact they have to think about it and talk about it. Because we don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. We can learn from each other. Definitely, uh-huh. definitely. Uh-huh. And I think that's one thing that one-to-one support offers. You know, I think we feel, especially once we're into management and leadership roles, we feel pressure around us and we also feel pressure inside us to do something that makes it better. Yeah. And, you know, often we're now in uncharted territory. We've not done, we, nobody did anything like COVID before. Exactly. So what we need to do is slow down and think. And that's what the one-to-one relationship offers people. And, to meet, you know, I always say to people this, like, you can set your doing down. We're here to think about your being. Uh-huh. Uh and I know you've said that your whole career has been in the UK so you don't have experience of it in America but I also know that you still have friends and family in America Uh, so you watch what's going on over there as well do you think that the sector generally the third sector operates pretty much the same or do you see differences in it I think the biggest difference I mean when I first came to Edinburgh and Edinburgh Volunteer Organisations Council which is part of the third sector interface in Edinburgh had, they still produce what they call the We Read Book. Uh, and it was like a guide to all of the third sector organizations in Edinburgh. Actually blew my mind. I could not believe that so many charities existed in one city and that they were funded by the government one way or another, mostly, of course, fundraisers, 100% public fundraising, all of that. But generally speaking, that's a smaller slice of, of yeah. the money that, that charities operate from. And because in the U.S., there's not a lot of state funding. Uh, you know, I, and like, as you said, I didn't really, I hadn't spent a lot of time in that world. But I, I definitely know that you're really looking at philanthropy, trusts and foundations. You know, there there is a whole sector, but it operates in a much different way. Right. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And when you reflect on it then, on your career, which is, gosh, it's nearly 30 years old now, your career. More than 30 years. More than 30. I, I mean, if I think of, yeah. Wow, yeah. so it is. So, was it the right thing? Are you glad that you came to Edinburgh and started working in the third sector? Oh, 100%. Mm. 100%. I think, you know, I, I 
think I've said, my work feels like a privilege to meet amazing people to, to, I guess everybody in the third sector is here because we want, we have such a privilege because we can align our efforts with something that matters to us. So, you know, psychological research definitely shows that having a sense of purpose is one of the things that supports our resiliency and general reporting, feeling happy. And in the third sector, we are really able to do that. And so to spend my life supporting people who are doing such amazing stuff in so many ways and so many places is, yeah, amazing. And, and, I, and I don't think anything like, like this would have been possible for me in the U.S. Maybe something that had a similar flavor, but there's just not that much charitable activity in one location. So, if you look back over that career, what would you say you're most proud of, Joey? I think I'm, I'm most proud that I've I've made that happen. Actually, yeah. uh, you know, mo- most well, the last twenty years, I've I have created my work life and and what I've been able to bring to the world, if you will. And I do feel really proud of that. Uh-huh. Good. Oh, and that's that, you couldn't ask for more than that, could you? Really? What is the best piece of advice that you think you've ever been given in your career? I think the best piece of advice I've been given is to keep going. Mm. And that was given to me. I'll just quickly tell the story. When I worked in the shop on Princess Street and I kept applying to the third sector for jobs, and I'd always get positive feedback when they knocked me back. Sometimes organizations would then encourage me to apply for another job in their organization. And on two occasions, I didn't even get that. And I applied for a job at West Lothian Drug and Alcohol Project. I still remember. And the, the manager's name was Paul. And I can't remember his surname off the top of my head. But when he told me I didn't get the job again, and this must have been like the sixth interview I'd had, I just I burst into tears on the phone. And I said, I'm, I'm so frustrated. I keep getting positive feedback. And he said, just keep applying. He said, you gave a great interview. He said, here's what you need to know about the third sector. Once you're in, you're in. And you can move around as much as you want, but getting in can be hard. And it was so true. And maybe I applied for another job or two, and then I got the one at Edinburgh Association for Mental Health. And what he said was absolutely true. Paul Mooney, that's his name, Mm -hmm. uh, that I've just moved around and moved around and then moved out, but continued to be in, Uh uh, in that sense. It it really is a... it's quite a community, the third sector. Yeah, I would agree. I would actually really agree with that. And that whole notion of just keep moving forward, just keep, you know, there's no other way to go. But don't give up. With everything, yep. you know, with all aspects of life, but especially with your career, it's just like, just keep moving forward because you've got no option. You can't stay still and you can't go back. So you just need to find a way. And That's that right. whole notion of what's the next right step? What's the next? Because yeah. you don't need to know 10 steps ahead. You just need to know the next right step, don't you? And that's what yeah. gets you through, isn't it? Absolutely. And I would just add to that, and I think that that was true in the story I, I, I told, and, and keep focused on your North Star. Like, know, know why. Yeah. If you know why, just keep going. Uh-huh. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And is there a piece of advice, Joette, that you give to people time and again? I would say the best advice I give to people time and again is look after yourself. Mm. Because I think in the third sector... Well, I know, (laughs) in fact, there are a lot of passionate people who are passionate about the difference that they're trying to make through their work. And often that means that they override 
we can, I do sometimes too, override our sense of what's right for us for the whatever the greater good that we think we're gonna we're gonna help if we overextend ourselves. And that can be a path to burnout and just ultimately having less capacity to make that difference. And you know, especially since 2020. Like that's its own series, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, looking after yourself. Yeah. But yeah, I think absolutely. That's that's my advice to everyone working yeah. in charities, whatever their role is. I do. And I say that to so many people as well. Like, you know, your job, if you want to get, you get paid 35 hours a week. If you want to give it 50, fair enough. But it doesn't deserve your Saturday morning or your Sunday night or whatever, you know, because then you burn out and, then you've got nothing to give this organisation that you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you think back, I know that you've been a consultant, so this is maybe you need to reflect on it a wee bit, but the best team that you've ever been a part of, what made it so good? Yeah, do you know, when I was thinking about this question, I was thinking that um, actually I've been really lucky because I can't think of a team I didn't enjoy being part of. And in true fact, I, I am part of an amazing team and I've been part of of teams that are amazing in in different ways. And I think that the kind of common denominator, because I really, usually my immediate, where my brain goes when I get asked that question is I think of this restaurant that I worked in for seven years when I was in my early twenties, which was just an amazing team to be part of. You know, I think really from then on, the great teams have had a common denominator that people are able to show up as themselves and have that accepted. And that, you know, generally speaking, people are there with positive regard for one another, that they're kind, and that time is spent on relationships. You know, whether that's like in the old days when we were all worked in an office that, you know, we maybe sat and chatted in the kitchen or we went for a walk at lunch together or as a team we had, you know, team development days or, you know, that that was recognized in the organization that relationships are important. And, you know, I think that... All of those teams and the one that I'm in now, you know, there's a lot of laughter. And I think that's probably the result of that being in a team where people feel at ease and enjoy one another and don't feel they need to hide. So I think that, yeah, that's part of what has been the foundation of several very different teams that work together for very different reasons and you know we started off talking about those problems that exist within organizations which can sound very familiar to people that just go in and out of organizations but actually if you have people that have a sense of belonging and a sense of trust with each other then those problems are maybe not going to happen but also going to be easy to solve aren't they so it's worth trying to make it happen for your team isn't it yeah definitely definitely uh-huh. thank you so much for joining me on the podcast Joette it's been a pleasure and I really appreciate being able to you know you sent me those couple of questions and I, I really enjoyed thinking them through and I don't think I would have done that if you hadn't offered me this opportunity so thank you oh, 